I'm Kim Cutable, an author, producer, and entrepreneur. And I believe that the way women lead is our divine advantage. That's part of what we'll be talking about in this podcast called Voice Lessons. A woman who starts her own business is often a high achiever with a perfectionist streak that puts her under even more pressure, especially if she's the family's main breadwinner. She's the kind of woman who is not afraid to work tirelessly for her success, which is why it's not uncommon for her to experience burnout or adrenal fatigue or issues with weight or with wine. Maybe she can't fall asleep or she's anxious all the time or she's not really feeling at all. She's probably wondering, what is wrong with me? I could spot the telltale symptom of trauma, which is disconnection from parts of ourselves, from parts of our body, from the fullness of our emotional expression, and in relationships, also that disconnection. In her new book, Dr. Valerie Rain writes that what's wrong with me feeling is not your doing or your failing at all. Using science, she redefines the definition of trauma and connects the dots to reveal an invisible lineage, a previously undefined trauma that's been passed down among generations of women, one that holds many high achievers back from living a full and thriving life. I'm Dr. Valerie Rain, and this is a lesson on patriarchy stress disorder. What is your earliest memory of being creative? Mm. My earliest memory of being creative was way before I started school. It was just when I was exploring colors and textures and getting messy. And then what happened, there is actually a lot of trauma for me when it comes to creativity, because when I started school, the school made it all about the grades and all about this uniform way of how to do art right, quote unquote. And my mother would sit with me. And this is actually the more vividly imprinted memory of my mother sitting with me and literally like coloring inside the lines and making sure everything is just so. So yeah, that might have been an early precursor of me going into studying trauma. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I mean, it started to start so young. I was just thinking, isn't that's the quintessential coloring inside the lines? Yeah. It begins when we're little. Mm -hmm. A lot of your work does relate to mind-body trauma and redefining it. And you say that most trauma operates at the subconscious level. So I want to know a couple of things, how you define trauma because it's different and then also, what are some of the, the subconscious defenses that people have? I define trauma in a broader sense than what I learned in psychology schools. And the definition has been, and the way I uh, define it is any event or experience that made you feel unsafe, 
physically or emotionally, and led to developing trauma adaptations to keep you safe going forward. And these trauma adaptations are all the things that come up in our mind, the thoughts, the beliefs, the sensations that come up in the body and health expressions that come up in the body and behaviors that are essentially keeping us from moving toward what we desire if there is trauma associated with that. The inner critic, the imposter syndrome, what we call the upper limit problem, that these are all trauma defenses. And on the level of the action, because there are two ways that the nervous system keeps us safe. One is going into freeze and the other going into fight flight. So freeze basically spells out inaction. We're not going to do it at all. Or fight or flight, we're going to do it, but our nervous system is going to be so activated, we're going to be feeling stressed. And so for our listeners, if you're finding yourself wanting something and either getting mired in distractions or talking yourself out of it, these are all trauma defenses or getting sick when you're trying to reach for what you want. Or you may be going for it, but you're feeling chronically stressed, fatigued, having trouble sleeping, having trouble just relaxing without a glass of wine or a pill. That's also not your fault. That's trauma operating in the nervous system. You had a firsthand experience with this. Many. Yeah. <laughs> Many. <laughs> Many. But this, this is, I mean, this is how you've come to coin the phrase yeah. patriarchy stress disorder. Mm -hmm. I started wondering, well, what kind of trauma could we all have and not even realize that? That was driving this disconnection and the stress. And at the time, research was coming out showing that traumatic experiences were genetically transmitted. And that was my light bulb moment. So that's the field of epigenetics, is that right? Correct, that is the field of epigenetics. And the light bulb moment was that women have been oppressed for thousands of years. And oppression is traumatic and trauma is genetically transmitted. So that's how patriarchy stress disorder as a term, as a definition of a condition what was born. Recognizing that we carry in our DNA trauma programming that previous generations developed to help them survive. And that programming spells out all the things, right? The survival instructions, don't be too visible, don't be too rich. You can't love who you love. You can't, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the prohibitions on women. You've given some really great examples in the book in terms of mice being zapped with cherry blossoms and then their progeny also being afraid of cherry blossoms at the scent of cherry blossoms because of this programming, the, you know, being the electric shock. Luann Brinzendine in her book, The Female Brain, talks about moms who, if they are experiencing stress during pregnancy, that passes on to the baby. Yeah. Does this happen to boys too? Or is are women more predisposed to it? I don't know the statistics on epigenetics and if it if women are greater impacted because our brains are wired differently? 
This is a great question. And I don't know if we have scientific answers. Of course, men have stress too. Of course, men have trauma too. Absolutely. If you are human, you have trauma. But there is something that is common to our experience as women and to our female lineage, whether it's only genetic, whether it's nurture, whether it's the patriarchal culture reinforcing that trauma and re-traumatizing us all our lives, it's, it's a cocktail. I thought it was interesting you say the unconscious privilege of men under the patriarchy is being believed in. Yeah, you like that, huh? <laughs> I do because I actually feel that 100%. The yeah. visibility is something that I work on a lot with clients, and that yeah. is actually one of the biggest problems. They can't explain why it is they're afraid to be seen. Yeah, because it's not conscious. It's not like, oh, I'd rather not be seen, and that's why. Consciously, we want to have success. We want what we want consciously. And it's our subconscious that is actually driving the bus. Um, what's also in the book, and I didn't know it before I did research for the book, neuroscientists discovered that our actions are decided in our subconscious. That blew my mind that our actions are decided in our subconscious the conscious mind only catches up later to rationalize them. So how, how about them? We, how about that? We can be talking about what we want. We can be psyching ourselves into doing that, working on our mindset. But it all only goes so far if our subconscious has a different agenda. Now, I look at things from a spiritual level as well. So is yeah. there room for the soul in science? And is would you say that the soul and the subconscious are intertwined? Ooh, such a hot question. I've never been asked that. What is soul, right? And what, what is, is spirit, it? I don't know. Right? I don't know. I'm just curious. I just I want to throw that out there. I don't want any science that doesn't have a soul. Let me put it this way. And to me, at the core, science is deeply spiritual because true science, not reductionistic science that just splices and dices and numbers and let us just like pull out one aspect of the experience and zero in on that, but science that actually seeks to understand, uncover deeper truths, it is about studying people's experiences. If we're talking science that studies people, it's seeking to understand deeply. And to seek to understand deeply, you need to understand, you need to go into the spiritual, in, into the soul. You need to understand holistically about humans as, as whole beings. And also interesting with science, the further science goes, I'm thinking about quantum physics right now. Then the separation of science and spirituality is completely erased because what we are seeing, uh, what, what quantum physics is discovering, is just, it's mind-blowing. Like We don't understand how that works, how things blink on and off, how a, a, a particle is a particle, and then it's a wave, and then it's a particle, and what actually exists, and what's the nature of existence, right? And we, science takes us to really deep spiritual questions. I loved that about the book because so much of what you speak about is energetic in quality. Mm. 
And the, it, it was, I was like reading sentences and, and understanding that certain things were being triggered because you were talking about mind body connection. And I've, you said a couple of things, the body doesn't lie. Number one, which was powerful to me. And number two, also, I was equating intuition with the body in a way that I never had before. Desires for me are of the soul and spiritual guidance, but they're transmitted through the body. I want to read a quote from the book because I think it really explains it. You say, the deepest trauma women experience under patriarchy is that our lives, our bodies, and minds are not as valuable as men, that we're worth less. The core wound of worthlessness sets us up to check off the boxes of external achievement, only to have those achievements mask unhappiness and dis-ease, like putting up nice window treatments to cover the prison bars. I just was like, oh, when you feel the weight of that, it's why we're dieting constantly. It's why we're looking external for external validation constantly. It's, it's all related to this core wound Yes, that affects not only women, the patriarchy is detrimental to men as well. Absolutely. I want to take this opportunity to draw this equation or uh, the absence of equation. Not strong in maths. (laughs) Basically, what I want to say is that men does not equal patriarchy and patriarchy does not equal men. Patriarchy is a system of inequality of power, a system where historically men have more political, financial the power, the social power, power of decision-making, every kind of power. But it doesn't mean that men benefit from it on a deep, again, we're talking spiritual, right? On a deep whole person level. On the surface level, yes, the power structures are set up to benefit men. But men are also deeply hurt by these power structures because they demand compliance. Membership in the patriarchy has a very high admission price. You have to be a certain way. Patriarchy also defines masculinity in very narrow terms. If you look up what it means to be a man or masculinity in a dictionary, it's full of terms like aggressive and all these kind of words that are that are excluding the the full spectrum nature of men as also nurturing, empathetic, feeling, caring, tender humans. And, And there is so much, there's a real mental health crisis among men. There is so much depression, so, so much suicide. I also blame this collective trauma on this mental health crisis because men are, men are hurting men and women and people across the gender spectrum. We all want to be whole humans. We all want to live authentic lives. We want to have our voices, our creativity, everything, right? All, all parts of us playing in the sun. And patriarchy is not allowing for that. So dismantling those norms and healing that trauma is something that's on the agenda 
across the gender spectrum. Yeah, I think this initiation piece into the culture, we talk about burnout, pedal to the metal, Mm. rest is not really one of those criteria that work into that formula. And it's so essential. I think that rest in particular is is part of a, a paradigm of feminine leadership. Do you think that women lead differently? Mm. And if yes, how? Mm. Yeah, rest is revolutionary. There is no straightforward answer that I have to your question, but what I'm seeing among women leaders, some women are leading in the old paradigm and they're following the patriarchal paradigm, which by the way, demands that women basically leave big parts of who they are, who they authentically are, just out of the conversation completely. And so I work with a lot of like what are some of those things? Can you define Mm -hmm. for listeners who are thinking, oh gosh, this feels familiar? Mm -hmm. I'm what what are the most common things that are left out? Intuition gets taken out of the equation. Let's rely on the logic. The body gets left behind. Let's rely only on the mind. And so uh, empathy, empathy, compassion, our very fine skills of reading people in situations and making great decisions, by the way, based on, on that data, that gets cut out and then a woman doesn't feel like herself anymore. She she wants to reclaim her authenticity. I see it in my woman clients because this is a part of their awakening. They have played the game and won it, so to speak. They've checked all the boxes. They've been successful in their careers, but then in their midlife, they look around and they're not happy and fulfilled and they look within and they start exploring, start taking workshops and personal development and reading books. And what they're discovering is that the traditionally feminine qualities have been left on the sidelines. They had to become and operate more like a man. That's what that work of reclamation looks like by recognizing the trauma, recognizing, first of all, that there is nothing wrong with you Mm. at all, but There is trauma that needs to be healed so that all parts of you can be reclaimed. What do you think of the notion of feminine leadership? I find that people mean different things by that. And my... (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to love it. I'm just curious because it's what you were just saying is that these aspects of femininity are not part of the patriarchal equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I find a lot of women are just not even interested in relating to, like they see goddess circle woo-woo as feminine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there's a real unwillingness to, Mm -hmm. and and not that there's anything wrong with goddess circle (laughs) woo-woo. It's not a fit for, for me personally, for many of us. Yeah. But there for me, there's great power in femininity. Mm-hmm. Thank you for clarifying that. And it also gave me an opportunity to connect with different aspects of my own response to, to what, what, what that actually means, a feminine leadership. First of all, for me, it begins with acknowledging that feminine comes in all incarnations. I think of the goddess pantheon, for example, the Hindu goddess pantheon. Goddesses 
that chop off heads and drink blood <laughs> and drink uh, and, and, and dance in sexual ecstasy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also goddesses that are more about compassion and, and flowers and, and all, all that good stuff. So the goddess has many, 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 many faces and expressions. And I think... The okay, so maybe I'm going to get down with my inner goddess then. Maybe I can I should rock, start, <laughs> start rocking her a little bit more. Rock, yeah. Ali, <laughs> rock whatever goddess, uh, goddess du jour. What's the goddess du jour today? And, and that's actually, that is something that I, I feel there's a big big promise here in feminine leadership if a, if a woman and this concept of the feminine leadership embraces the full spectrum not just like sugar and spice and everything nice the feminine means nurturing and no for me feminine it's like embraces our wholeness as creatures and and I feel that here the feminine leadership has a lot to offer to the masculine as well, because the masculine can stand to reclaim a lot of the lost feminine as well. As male lead, interestingly, when male CEOs are interviewed, almost all of them, all the successful CEOs, speaks speak to using their intuition in decision making over the quote unquote rational mind. They all speak to the finer traditionally ascribed to the as feminine qualities. So yeah, you can, I think about, I think about Richard Branson as being Steve Jobs. I think about a lot of creative men oftentimes come in on a more feminine channel from my perspective. When it comes to women in the culture, what aren't we talking about that we need to be? Mm. I I really feel that what I wrote about in the book is that missing link and the new frontier in women's empowerment, that it's not enough to hire women. It's not enough to promote women. It's not enough for women to be making money and building our businesses. It's also the cost at which we are accomplishing these things. The rate of burnout is catastrophic and it's not our fault. It's, if we look at it through the, the inherited trauma lens, it's our nervous system that's being constantly on, constantly in overdrive. And that is costing us. That's costing us our health. That's costing us our relationships. Our parenting suffers, everything. And it doesn't have to be this way. We've been progressing at such an incredible rate. But you do reference that act that had women, you know, having to co-sign for bank loans until 1988. I, I I can't even understand that. I just can't even, I mean, I can, but it's like to live in that time as a woman, I, I, I don't even ever, I'm so glad I don't have a frame of reference for that. Yeah, it's all so recent. And women were being locked up in asylums and we think about it as maybe ancient history, maybe it's 200 years ago, 100 years ago, as recently as 1950s and 60s. And I actually heard first-person accounts from children of these women. They remember their mothers being taken from their homes and then coming back in a wheelchair drooling because of the the horrible, quote-unquote, mental health treatments that were being administered, electric shocks and lobotomies. And why? 
because the father had a girlfriend and wanted the mother out of the way. It's not about blame. It's not about women against men. It's about recognizing this massive trauma, massive trauma that the, the, the men and the women experienced and experienced it differently and the massive need for healing so that we can all go to the next level of being in our bodies, being in our power, being in, in on a whole different level in our relationships, in our creativity and self-expression, because that all gets inhibited by trauma. And we owe it to ourselves and the world to heal it and the new generations not to pass it along. If I asked you to complete the following sentence, my wish for every other woman is to know herself to not buy into the lies of patriarchy and pay a high price for that, but know her true beauty and her true power. You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. Be visible, speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. You can join our community at Facebook forward slash Voice Lessons Podcast to speak with me live after every episode is posted. And if you have a question or comment or want to suggest a guest, you can do it there. Or if you're on Instagram, tag us at Voice Lessons Podcast and use the hashtag LessonUp. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at VoiceLessonsPodcast.com.